Amused Boosh is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Now offering video visits so you can take control of your orthopedic care from the comfort of your home. Schedule online at orthocarolina.com. Ortho Carolina, you improved. Solid memoir material. Solid memoir. If you're you're writing the book, I want to edit it for you. All right, everybody, welcome to this here batch number six. My name is Jen. My name is Abby. And this is Amused Amused Boosh. We have a wonderful special guest with us today, taking a little bit of a turn from featuring uh, chefs and restaurants in the immediate Charlotte area, uh, but ones that we're connected to either way. So today we have with us uh, actually a coworker of mine by the name of Chase Sobelman. Chase, welcome. Hi. Hi, Abby. Hi, Jen. Um, so glad you could join us today. So, so the the way that Chase and I know each other, uh, can I call you Chef? Is that appropriate for this? The duration, whatever you like. I actually love Chef, but good. yeah, I love Chef. I love all Chef. So, I'm chef, an equal opportunity Chef lover. Equal opportunity Chef lover. I'm a polyamorous Chef lover. Correct. Um, so, Chase and I actually work together at a uh, a giant food service management company, which we'll shall we shall leave that unnamed for the purposes of today to protect the innocent. Um, but we worked on a project together in the, the Northeast, which is, it's where you're based out of. Is that right, Chef? Yeah, that's right. Yes. Cool. So Specifically, we, uh, the, uh, the Connecticut, uh, I guess the tri-state area. Tri-state. New York. All that good New stuff. New York. Awesome. Yeah. So we had a project together uh, a few months back in the K-12 food service um, world, which is, again, how we got connected. So... Um, we've learned a little bit about your story and, and the background that you shared with me when we were having one of those lovely team dinners that uh, everyone brushes off the day with enough <laughs> wine. To- My favorite part of work is the you know, required fun right. team dinner. If we're going to have yeah. to travel for work, we'll make it worthwhile, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Drink on somebody else's dime. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you for that plastic. So let's, let's backtrack a little bit here, Chef, and, and just... Talk about how, what led you to the culinary world. How how did you get here? What was your path like? Oh, are we starting way, way back when, when I was a little, little person? Or are we talking about when we started just, you know, random? I mean, it depends <laughs> on like, were you like, I was going to be a veterinarian and then yeah. I got hit by a bus and then I forgot, lost my memory and then I decided <laughs> to be a chef. Like if it's that's kind of good of a story, then let's go that way. If but you want to make up some superhero powers. Um, we did. We did already have an origin story. <laughs> I think, yes, I heard the origin story. I, I think that, you know, everything kind of come kind to kind of come to fruition later on in life, right? So I didn't realize that I was um, in the culinary world until later. But I, I think that as I look back on when I was young, I, I think I just very, I pivoted and, and was very comfortable in the kitchen. Always, always. Um, my father my father is always about a boy, right? My father mm-hmm. was a food guy. He's just was a food lover. Um, there was no distance too far that we would drive to get good food. Um, we lived in Staten Island. I grew up in New York. Uh, we would drive on any random day. We'd, we'd fill cars, just uh, any amount of cars with as much family as we could. And we just randomly drive to Chinatown on like a Tuesday night um, just to get good food. You know, I, I think that that's how my I was introduced to the culinary world at a very young age. 
um, always authentic foods. We, he was always looking to find like what this person was eating. We'd sit at a restaurant and no matter how fancy the restaurant, he would always be looking on the table next to him and asking what they were eating. It was so embarrassing, but now I really don't care. Like I do the same thing. So (laughs) (laughs) how else um, are you going to know? Right. I want to know what that guy's eating. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, but then on top of it, you know, we, we always had these gatherings, um, on weekends or even not even on weekends. Um, but we used to call them like bullshit, uh, sessions or bullshit done. Like that was, that was our thing. And, um, there was always food involved and it depended on who hosted the, the bullshit on that, that weekend. But, um, you know, sometimes we do it at my house and my mother would cook and my mother was a nurse. So typical of the Filipino culture. Right. Uh, so sometimes she was on call and I get left finishing the meal and I just, didn't have a problem with that. I never really had a problem with being in the kitchen um, or cooking. It was the one thing that I didn't feel like I couldn't do. And uh, I think that I just was able to cook and, and produce at a very young age. So that being said, um, I want to say that I, I knew that I was probably going to go into culinary um, early in life. Uh, I In high school, I worked at a bunch of fast food chain restaurants. I remember one time um, in Burger King working the line and like just some, some really slow day because I wasn't, you know, part of the A team. Just really one slow day that some guy came through the drive through and ordered like 20 Whoppers. And I just happened to be on like the Whopper station. And I could just remember that, that, that feeling the, of adrenaline um, like loading 20 burgers onto the yeah. conveyor belt and setting it all up and just, putting it all out and, and feeling that sense of accomplishment afterwards. And, and I probably never felt that way again until I started working a hotline in a restaurant. So um, yeah, it started really early uh, when the surge of Facebook came about and we started connecting with old high school friends, people weren't surprised that I went into the culinary sector because I think I was like hosting barbecues after school, <laughs> just yeah. like, putting like cooking random stuff you're chasing um, that adrenaline aren't yeah you? <laughs> yeah just like cooking for for my friends at a really young age and not even knowing that I was doing like you know you're, you're not cooking regular like hey let's just slap some burgers on a grill like I was making uh what we call now Korean fried chicken but I was cooking it back then um when I was a teenager so it's it's not a surprise uh, that I went into this. It's, I've always been comfortable cooking. And um, I think that that's what attracted me to the culinary world. I think that um, eventually it became about a boy. It's always at a boy. It started, started with my father. Uh, there was a boy that I met in college that I was screwing around with that happened to have a girlfriend. And I wanted him really bad. And he mentioned that the girl was like, oh, you know, she's going to go to to pastry school at um, like coal and take pastry class. And I'm like, screw that. I'm going to go become a chef. And that boy disappeared. <laughs> that boy is long gone. But I did go to um, culinary school after that. And, and I became a chef. So screw that guy. Yeah, yeah. that one up on that is pretty extreme. <laughs> we'll I love take, it. We'll take the motivation where we can get it, right? Ever, again, exactly. any, any superhero origin story has like a little bit of pain at the bottom of it. But, you know, you rise from that and, and yeah. it gave you sort of a, a weird jump start to that mission. It did. It did. Definitely. And, you know, I, I think me, just me, knowing me in particular, I, I have um, I've always had some demons to fight. I have 
I have low self-esteem issues and I uh, feel nervous about speaking in front of crowds. But I think that um, I've always felt comfortable in the kitchen and around kitchen people. And when I finally started working in kitchens, it's, it's just where I felt at home and the people that I was surrounded with felt like family and um, they all went, they all had their own demon story, you know? So yeah. I just felt like I was with my people. <laughs> that's how, yeah. I think that's how it all became about. It, it seems to make sense to me that, you know, in such a stressful environment or can be a stressful environment to have people that really can be your family, right? You can have blow ups with and then get over it and move on and, and learn from each other and laugh with each other and cry with each other. It, it sounds like that. You know, and anybody who's worked in a restaurant in any capacity knows that feeling, right? When everyone's in the weeds and you just have no time to stop and think, oh, we were having dinner this week at a restaurant and, and I recognized what happened to the server. She came over and she started saying something to us that was clearly meant for another table. And I was like, I know exactly what's happening to her. She's in the weeds. <laughs> she has one more table than she can handle right now. She realized it too late and was like, I'm going to get you guys around. And we're like, it's cool. Take your time. So it, it's just one of those things that... That adrenaline, that rush, to me, it's similar to theater, right? There's yeah. there's a drug sort of component to that that you just can't get in other places uh, and that you are able to to work this into your livelihood. That's incredible. And, you know, so you and I, again, are, are connected through the corporate culinary world, uh, specifically in the K-12 world, which to me, you know, I'm on the marketing side of things uh, in sales support. And it makes it a really easy job, right? Anytime you are adding kids to the mix uh, and taking care of kids, any component of that. How has that experience been in, in working specifically in the K-12 world been different from sort of the rush of, of working in the back of house in a, in a restaurant? Well, it's definitely much more forgiving um, and much more fun, I want to say. I haven't had a ton of exposure to the kids. You know, I started this job uh, right before the pandemic, so... Um, I did travel to a bunch of schools and, and it was more um, local to the Connecticut area. Um, and I want to say you walk in and if, if you're wearing your chef coat, you're, you're Superman, mm-hmm. you're the yeah. superhero. Uh, you aren't, there isn't a bigger celebrity than the chef. It's so weird. Um, but I think that um, what's great about being in this sector is that there is so much opportunity to, to talk to kids and reach them at such um, a young level. Like right before this, I was working at higher ed. And I thought that that was such a great place because all all the kids were so interested in food. Some of them had had some exposure, some had no exposure. Some were like literally all they had ever eaten was chicken tenders and pizza. And and as a chef, you know, you, you take that as a challenge. You don't like shy away from that. You're like, okay, you just dared me to introduce all this great food to you. Right. And, and where, you know, kids just naturally will walk away from anything of color. They just want everything Brown. (laughs) They want everything processed. And so um, when you can get them to try something and like something that's a vegetable or a fruit, and I, I, I have my own kids and to see them um, try new things, I think is incredible. And and I love seeing other kids do that, um, especially when they're just like, no, I'll never eat that. And then and all of a sudden they love it. So yes, that is, um, that's the great part about being a part of this sector is, is the development and then the exposure to the kids at this young age. And hopefully that they um, will grow up to be teenagers and then adults that will like food. Yeah, that, you know, Chef, it, it reminds me of, of thinking about how set in my ways I thought I was as a kid. 
And I was a lot more malleable then than I am now, right? There are certain things that I'm much more set in my ways today. So it seems like what you're saying is it's a great time to let them try something new in the environment that they are in every single day. So it's a safe space for them to try something new. And, you know, to your point, like, you know, there's almost that healthy competition where you're energized by the idea of, I am going to make you like something. It's like a dare that, you know, I'm going to make something that you're going to be wanting to try because it's beautiful and it tastes good. Well, it's so different from, I'm sure, how many of us grew up in in this country with like square pizza and just it it blows my mind sometimes seeing, and and I don't get to go out and see operations too much in, in the schools, but when I do, it's not even that it's just good school food you guys turn out good food in general. I think I had gone on a trip at one point and tried like a, a house made black bean burger that I would have happily paid like 15 bucks for in a restaurant. And it was made for the national school lunch program. And it was like, I don't know, two bucks or whatever it was on their pricing. So just as far as quality goes, it's, it's fascinating to watch, you know, students that I know that I would never have tried things like Brussels sprouts as a as a young kid, but again, you're almost instilling that healthy competition where it's like, you know what, I'm going to try it now. You have to, you know. So I, I just find it to be a, a really compelling industry right now with with the way that, like you said, chefs of all kinds are are celebrities, literally. So that sort of growth in that industry bleeding into the the K-12 space has been really fun to to be a part of. Yeah. Now educate me, Jen and and Chef. How many schools are are doing this, right? How what's the percentage of schools that are still serving the square pizza compared to these different style lunches? Well, it, it varies. I, I will say our company has quite a few hundreds of those schools. I will again leave them nameless, but um, but a lot of schools are still self operated, which is depending on the resources that they have, not a terrible solution. Some are worse than others, um, but oftentimes the the word outsourcing is a bad word, right? Which is technically what we do is, is outsourcing. Um, but yeah, there's still a lot of, if we were going to do business speak right now, lots of market share left on the table that are self-operated schools. And it doesn't mean that they only have the square pizza and the crappy stuff, but, um, certainly the resources of the company that we work for can just add an incredible amount of variety and and options for them. So this is not a sales pitch. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, when you, when you, what I've learned about, you know, working for K-12 is that we don't have a lot of money to spend on, on resources to offer like great ingredients or um, not that they're not great ingredients, but just, you know, we, we just don't have a ton of resources financially. So when you're being funded by the government and when you're on the program, um, you, you tend to use your government dollars and you buy commodities um, or commodities that are, you know, NOI, which we, we, what we call NOI, um, so that you can get credits back for using government food. Um, you know, it's so weird. I remember when I started and they were telling me that like produce comes from DOD. It's like DOD produce. I'm like, what is DOD? Department of Defense. Why does the Department of Defense <laughs> have, have produce? But you know, it just, it is, it is what it is. Um, that's where you can get your produce. And, you know, I mean, if you can get free produce from the Department of Defense, because the government's funding it, by all means, buy it that way, you know, but what we, what we're lucky with now is that there are chefs that are starting to work for this sector. 
um, and taking the resources that, resources that we have, like Department of Defense produce, and then turning it into something good rather than just here's like <laughs> here's a souffle cup of cherry tomatoes, eat it or throw it out, you know, yeah. or like here's an apple. You know, we are turning that into something that kids can relate to, um, that they'll like. Uh, that it's flavorful, that's fun. You know, it's, it's, I, I always, I remember stories about, you know, talking to folks or chefs, even chefs uh, that became chefs because they would eat their parents cooking and they were like, oh my God, it was disgusting. Mm. Oh, they used to make steak and it was gray. Or, oh, you know, they never knew what to do with Brussels sprouts. So we hate Brussels sprouts. But now, you know, you, you have actual chefs that know what to do with Brussels sprouts. You can get them government, you know, with government credits. And then serve them in a way that kids will try them, at least try them, yeah. you know, because because that's what we want is we want them to be able to just try something. I have kids, too. And believe me, I was my own. I was my own enemy. I was at, at a very young age. I was telling them I was telling myself, really, that they, they'll only eat chicken tenders. They'll only eat pizza. And finally, I was like, God, that's I'm limiting them. Like, mm -hmm. I'm the one putting that stigma on them. So I started feeding them other things. And. You know, my my son at a very early age was eating raw oysters. It was it was the weirdest thing, but they were doing it and they like it. So it's just we have to we have to remove the stigma from our minds to say that kids don't like this, mm. right? That's limiting them. We have to open it up and say they'll like it if we introduce it to them. If they trust us enough, if we engage them, if we excite them, um, they'll like it. That's or at awesome. least they'll try yeah. it and tell us that I don't like it. Absolutely. And give you that feedback immediately. <laughs> I like the idea, though, of, the, of giving them the opportunity, at least. Yeah. Like you said, you know, if we're, if we're constantly anticipating a no, we're never going to get to a yes. So that's yeah. a fascinating and beautiful way to, to look at that sort of growth pattern in and expecting kids to try new things. So very cool. Mm -hmm. They're learning Definitely. at every point in school now. There's, there's lessons are. to be learned from their academics as well as from their <laughs> school lunch. And I love that. So, Chef, we heard a little bit about um, sort of the early influences on your culinary career and, and going to really authentic restaurants with your family and watching your dad bug other people about what they're eating. What other influences on you as a chef have you can you count as, as sort of significant to your life? Um, I mean, definitely my parents, my father I spoke about. My mother was an excellent cook. Though it's funny because we talk about it now and she came to America not knowing how to cook at all. And she just figured out a way, you know, she knew by how, by tasting things and what she knew from her own flavor, flavor profiles, how to make food taste like that. Um, but then also in, in addition to that, I mean, every chef that I've worked with, any cook that I've worked with has influenced my career. I think probably my biggest influence is my husband. He's also a chef. Um, he's my favorite chef. Um, <laughs> people ask me all the time, like, who's your favorite chef? And, and they expect me to like, name all these celebrity chefs. And it's always, it's my husband. He's, he's an incredible chef. Um, he's an incredible leader. Um, he's probably the most inspirational chef that I know. And I, I think that that's, that's really um, kind of honed the way that I cook, the way that I uh, operate a kitchen, the way that I lead my team. Um, because I've watched him do it successfully and done it in a way where um, his chefs have come out and all become successful after that. So um, I think what I find is that I, I, I enjoy being a chef because I like to see 
what I can produce and not just the food, but really the people that have kind of come out underneath me. Um, yeah. And I think that that's, that's where most of my, uh, most of my style has come from. Other than that, you know, I, I believe that what's influenced me is my health. Um, at a young age, I was diagnosed with high blood pressure and all this stuff. So it's just a family thing. But I had to change the way that I cook and the way that I eat um, in my 30s. So um, not that I push health and wellness, but I do believe that there is a way to cook uh, sustainable and using healthier ingredients and, and making that decadent and rich and and really kind of bringing out all those flavors um without having to like add a ton of fat or salt um and and all that stuff that you know all chefs love (laughs) that that everyone loves i mean it's it's good stuff but yeah if if you if you want to be around for long enough to keep eating the good stuff you know you sprinkle in some healthy things too. It's all about balance. Right. Balance. Balance. That's right. Yes. <laughs> so, so we've beat around a little bit of the bush here, Chef. And and one of the the very candid conversations that you and I had when we were working on this project a few months ago was um, obviously being tapped by um, the company to talk about your culture, um, which you said your your family immigrated from the Philippines. Um, to be interviewed as sort of a an Asian American Pacific Islander representative, if you will. Um, and I know that you had some mixed feelings on that. And, and obviously it, it, everything that is done by not just our company, but a lot of companies that are featuring, um, different minority groups in storytelling, um, recently it's with the best of intentions. And I think, uh, when it's done well, it's, it's incredibly impactful. Um, but talk to me a little bit about sort of what that experience was for you in that, in that sometimes expectations of those things don't necessarily align. So I will, I, I will take what I can get. And throughout my career, I have been blessed with many opportunities. Um, not always what I, for what I feel has been the right reasons, but I've been blessed with opportunities and I've taken advantage of them and I run with them. And I think that, um, I think that under the right circumstances, I, I'm, I'm funny and I'm fun and you are I can confirmed. Come... <laughs> confirmed. <laughs> I practiced that from a long, a long time ago. Um, but I, I think that, um, you know, I, personally, I started to feel very awkward about being tapped for things like this um, because I felt like why be singled out just for being somebody, right. Just for being Asian um, at a, at a, I remember early in my career, uh, because I was Asian and because I was a woman, um, in corporate, in, in the corporate BNI world, you know, I used to always be featured like for, for dumb things like here, Chase, why don't you work the Asian station and wear a kimono and roll sushi? And I'm like, <laughs> that's so far from like who I am as a chef. Like, I don't even you know, like, I mean, before working in the restaurants that I worked in, I don't think that I ever cooked Asian food. So I grew up in Staten Island. I ate pizza and bagels, you know, like yeah. I just, that was like, I love to cook you know, Italian cuisine specifically. So I don't, I don't tend to cook Asian, um, but I happen to work for some Asian restaurants, some very well-known Asian restaurants. So I feel like sometimes that defines me and, you know, um, looking at my face, uh, looking at my resume, 
I think people put me in a box and then they not, I don't want to say capitalize on that, but they can say, all right, we're celebrating Asian American Pacific Islander month. Hey, there's Chase. Like, let's talk to her. And, and I don't want to say I earned that. I, I just happen to be Filipino and I happen to be a chef and I happen to be a woman. So that being said, um, I get the opportunity. Why doesn't, you know, and I know there's opportunities everywhere and many chefs are spoken to, but I just don't think like, sometimes I don't think I deserve that opportunity just because mm. I'm Asian or just because I'm a woman or <laughs> I don't know. You'd want it to stand I'm, out based on your merits and your talents and not right. because you tick a certain box. Right. And I, and I don't, sometimes I don't know if I earned it. I think that that's where my problem is. Um, it's not a big problem. Right. <laughs> yeah. not, You're fine. I get over it real quick. <laughs> I, yeah. I think, you know, you mentioned earlier that, you know, a lot of folks have challenges with low self-esteem and stuff. And so they're, you know, for me, especially like getting opportunities, I always wonder if there is something, if there's another reason, there has to be another reason why, you know, an ulterior motive or something to that effect, because there's that imposter syndrome. Yep. Right. And so Classic. it's really hard to say like, yes, I want to be recognized for mer- my merits and my talents, but then, you know, you can often find yourself in that dangerous cycle of, thinking that there may be something else, yeah. you know, going on. Well, and sometimes those things are a little bit more covert and, and you yeah. wonder how much of that is intentional or avoidable. But I remember, you know, Chase, you know, our, our background here is an improv. Uh, very early on in my improv um, education, a, a well-respected teacher of mine said to me, don't worry, you'll be on a house team one day, you're hot. And I was like, okay, well, that's not at all. So immediately zapped every ounce of excitement that I had about honing this thing that I was really excited to learn. I was put in that box and that was going to be why I earned it. Right. So I, I totally, I don't think this is specific to any industry. Yeah. I think this is spe- specific to being any type of person minority that you can be put into a box that they need to, to make a token out of essentially. So yeah. totally hear yeah. you on that. So going back to, um, Again, the story that you told through the corporate filter, you know, was what it was, had the best of intentions, but we obviously wanted to, and again, this is how you and I sort of connected, wanting to give you the opportunity to really tell the unfiltered version of your story and and talk about what the expectations feel like when you don't, now you, you were saying, you know, the expectation that you have all this, this, you know, cultural history that that you use that you cook for your family what talk to me about the discrepancies between the expectations and the reality and just how that feels I'll tell you about when I um when they approached me about doing the piece for AAPI um I had a lot of anxiety about it I started to read up on like a read the other uh, interviews even for Black History Month and and all these people that were questioned about who influenced you. And, and I started to think to myself, like, I don't have any Asian or Filipino influence. I mean, I could talk about my mother, I could talk about my father, but I don't really have any celebrity influences that would feel like it was worth listening to, you know? So, so even writing the, even when I was talking about the article and they sent me the article back and I was reading it to myself, I'm like, God, like, how is this important to anybody? How is this going to be of value to anybody? And how does this affect the Asian community? I mean, it just doesn't speak Asian to me. And I, and I remember saying, you know, I, they had asked me about, you know, how does it, 
what does it mean to be Asian as an Asian chef or, or something like to that effect? And I said, you know what, honestly, it means that I really probably should revisit my Asian roots and introduce my kids more to Asian cuisine because I've lost that. And, and I felt guilty about that. I honestly, I was like, oh my God, like I've just kind of wiped out my own culture and assimilated to the American culture. But then even thinking deeper, I said to myself, like, I am American. That's my culture. It's not, yes, there's Asian influences. There's, there's always going to be, right? I mean, I'm always going to remember driving to Chinatown. I'm always going to remember, you know, singing karaoke with my folks and like uh, having these, you know, day long merienda sessions where we're eating all day. And, and yes, that part of it, the love of food, it might be derivative from my culture because yes, Filipinos are a hospitable culture. Um, uh, folks, we, we, we love to eat, we love to feed people, we connect through food. Um, but I don't think that it has anything to do with being Asian, you know, so, so it kind of irked me a little bit to even be tapped for it. Uh, I don't want to bite the hand that feeds me. But, and like I said, I, I'll take it, I get it, I'll take it. Um, was it exposure? Yeah, it was great. But I want to say that I, I, was hesitant to share it on my own Facebook page. Um, I didn't share it on my Facebook page. One of my cousins did. And then my sister called me and was like, yeah, congratulations on being Asian. You know, so, it's, <laughs> so it was kind of like a bummer. Like, yeah, you know, it's, it, it doesn't mean anything. It shouldn't mean anything. And I want to hide that, that interview. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you had spoken about this, I was like, oh my God, this is so much better. Like I get to talk about being like, Filipino and the, all the quirks and the kookiness about it and like the ungracefulness part about it you know and that's that's us right that's that's what I feel like anyway I want I don't want to speak for the whole entire culture but I know myself and my sisters we're just have zero grace zero ego we're just seriously humble we love food we love to eat we love to cook um and and because I, be, I became a chef because I was able to do what I love to do it's not a job for me it's fun um I get to hang out with a bunch of people that curse and you know and like check out chicks and guys and that's oh that's the fun part about it you when know is, is it like that now one? no it's not but she's not you know, talking about a k-12 school for the record I, yeah. <laughs> when is not having in a school yeah. I need to be at the next social gathering at, at chef's house <laughs> but you know you get to be a pirate amongst a bunch of pirates, um, whether that's because I'm Asian or not, I, it has nothing to do with it. So mm. I felt a little um, awkward. I, I, I think awkward is the PC term. I was pissed off, I think. Yeah. Um, my, my husband laughs at me all the time because I always down on shit like this. But I honestly think that, like, I, I feel like it's, you know, it's, it's a, a thing that we shouldn't celebrate. It's celebrate a person. You shouldn't celebrate me just because I have, you know, black hair, because I have chinky eyes or because of anything. Yes, there's a lot of things that we introduce to um, to the American culture, but that's what the American culture is. We've introduced a bunch of stuff. So now it's like I love pizza and bagels and I married a Jewish man from Long Island and <laughs> I can cook some Filipino food because my mother is a great cook. And, and that's really, I feel like that's not, necessarily reasons to be celebrated there are many more other people out there that are so deserving of being 
interviewed and their stories are better than mine. But um, like I said, I'll take it. So, so there's a couple of things that you've said that I want to send home here, celebrate the person and not the thing that they are. And that's exactly what we're doing. And, and to clarify, chef, you are 100% worthy of having every ounce of your story be told the way that, that you want it to be told, Mm -hmm. which is why you're here, right? I, I have a ton of friends in my friend group that I could tap for any number of these types of things. But the reason that I felt so compelled to have you on here is because I could see that conflict in your eyes when you were, when you were telling me that, especially when you were saying, you know, I felt guilty. I felt guilty that I didn't introduce my kids to this. That's part of the story. I want to hear that. I know the corporate world will never tell us that, but that is so important because nobody's story is without guilt. Nobody's story is without imposter syndrome, without feeling like they're not worthy enough of, of whatever is given to them. So even this part of your story is compelling because it grounds everybody in like, okay, it's not just me, right? This is somebody who is is kicking ass and doing what they love, but is still imperfect at it and is willing to sort of take a hard look at who they are, where they come from, and isn't rigid about it, right? So you, you grew up with a, a Filipino family and you still have a lot to learn about that. I think that's mm-hmm. true for anybody who grew up in one way and maybe didn't have as much culture or as much family history to pull from. Maybe they didn't have family at all. So every story that, that you're telling and every piece of it is, is part of the whole and it's important and you're worthy of being able to share it in the way that you want to. And can I just say solid memoir material, solid memoir. If you're, you're writing the book, I want to edit it for you. So I'm really curious, chef about, uh, you mentioned a few times, you know, what you grew up eating and what you, what you like to eat. Um, but you know, based on all of your experience, what, what are you preparing right now? What are some of the dishes that you love to prepare at home or, or for gatherings of people that we're definitely coming to? Oh yeah. Um, I mean, there's definitely, you know, as a chef, you try and keep up with trends, right? So we're, you know, we're, we're embracing all of the plant forward, plant focused, um, sustainable food. And, and I mean, I am, I do, I think personally, I embrace that because of, of my own health issues. Um, but I, I tend to eat more vegetables I just do and I, and I feel like there's so many cool things to do with it um I, I, we had gone to La Berna Den one year I think it was our anniversary one of our an- an- big anniversaries uh, I realized because I I said we have to try the vegetarian dish right because um whoever the chef is is going to put more effort into making that like crazy amazing so at that point, I, I started to realize that I ordered that way. I eat that way. Like I, I dare myself to try to make something um, that's not necessarily likable and, and make it into something likable. So, um, you know, on, on our in our house, it's usually something sm- like on a lower end, like a, a broccoli or, or, or whatever it is, cauliflower. But as you, you know, as I was testing and I, and I can go back to my higher ed days when we were um doing a lot of recipe development you know we're we're working with turnips we're working with um you know just all these other ingredients that don't usually get used um and and I think I I tend to move in that direction I, I tend to work with items that don't that people don't necessarily think are good um specifically kids and maybe this is where this is why I landed in k12 is because I feel like, you know, there's a 
my kids say it all the time. Oh, there's kale, kale, kale. You know, we've done so much with kale at home. And I know that kale is kind of like overdone, but you know, I feel like that's where I, I kind of gravitate to is working with foods or working with cuisine that doesn't, that's not normally like, I like the underdog. I think that that's really where it comes from. All right. So how about your uh, Jewish chef husband? What's his, uh, what's his signature dish? So my Jewish chef husband, um, I think both of us, what, what we share is that we both believe that our mothers are, are the best cooks out there. Solid. Um, we walk into either of their kitchens and we are the most humble sous chefs there could be. We don't, we try not to take um, control of anything. We take very good direction because we will always believe that they're the best chefs that we know. And um, I want to say we, we cook very similarly. Um, we, although he likes to cook with meat and I, and I don't. <laughs> and so when we have parties, he's always the grill guy and I'm always the side person. That's what we, that's what everybody Love calls that. us. So when we bought our house, uh, we took over Thanksgiving. That was like our, that was going to be our holiday. Cause we always felt like that was the chef holiday. And I would spend, I would spend the whole day working on sides. And then he would spend the whole whole like afternoon and night working on meats and proteins and and it worked um so we kind of bounce off each other but I feel like we like to um cook American regional cuisine with a Mediterranean flair uh we we often tend to stay away from cooking Asian cuisine unless we're going to try and be as authentic as possible because (laughs) I get very angry when we don't when we're not authentic. <laughs> My stomach is legitimately growling this whole episode. <laughs> and look, you know, everyone knows that the star of Thanksgiving is the sides. So right. I'm yeah. on your team here, side person. I'm um, just glad it's not side chick. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that would be an or easy side, low. Yeah. Or side, side salad. Side piece. <laughs> side salad. <laughs> that feels like your rapper name. Yes. Little side salad. Chef side salad. <laughs> Yeah, All right, chef. So we've heard so much about your history and, and what you do, uh, in the, in the K-12 space, but what's next for you? What do you hope to accomplish, you know, in the next couple of years and then in the long term with, uh, with your culinary prowess? I think that, um, I mean, I would love to turn the Northeast around, um, you know, where within our sector, within our company, specifically this, area, this region, they're not taking advantage of the fact that this is probably the most foodie area of of the nation, right? Yeah. Uh, Besides the West Coast. So these kids that go to these schools, they're probably the most exposed kids to food um, that we know, right? And and we're not taking advantage of that. We're taking advantage of money. We're taking advantage of commodities. We're taking advantage of processed foods. But I think that we have a great audience to um, introduce some really good foods, some diverse food, uh, some innovative food. We're just not doing it. And I, and I, I think that we've, we don't have a problem addressing or engaging the children. We have a problem addressing the staff. Mm. And because there's always a shortage of labor or good labor or skilled labor, um, we don't or our operators, 
whether they're long-term time employees of K-12 or they're coming into the business and they feel the challenge is too hard, it's, it's, it's hard to address the lunch lady, yeah. you know? I've been there myself. I've walked into a school and I've, I've talked about, I remember walking into one of my first schools in the middle of Ridgefield, which is a, an incredibly, di- not, I want I don't want to say it's a diverse area, but they're so engaged in food. And the woman that was working at this particular school was telling me that we could not serve sweet potato fries because they only want to eat French fries. And she was fighting with me. And, I, and I'm like, you know, you don't, like if you if you introduce it to them, if we continue to introduce it to them, we we do it once, twice, three times, whatever it is. I mean, you couldn't have an argument with this woman. She knew it. She lived it. This is what she's done for the past thirty years. Mm. She don't want to hear it. And I think that that's where our issue is: is that we really have to earn the trust, engage the the staff yeah. first, because they're going to be our advocates. And and I think what I want to do, I'm hoping to do, is really change the way at least the northeast eats i mean the kids that are in the northeast um it's it's horrible that we're thinking that kids should eat pizza or burgers every day yeah you know my my kids come home and we've taken advantage of the waivers that are put in place because of the pandemic and i asked my kids like what'd you eat today i never i never ever ever allowed my kids to have school lunches Mm. and because they were free in the past year and a half I did. And, and every time they come home, it's like pizza or a burger or pizza or a burger. And every once in a while, they'll say a chicken sandwich. And I I know what's in the chicken sandwich. It's this round form chicken patty (laughs) that is like, it's, I don't know. It's disgusting. They would never eat that way at home. Why should they eat that way at school? Um, I want to say that's my short term goals is to change the way that we're eating in the Northeast in the schools. However, my long-term goals, I mean, You know, I've been a chef for over 20 years and well, not a chef, but I've been in the culinary industry for 20 years. I've, I haven't had as much time with my family as I have in the past year and a half. Mm. And I want to continue to do that. And I, and I want my husband to also do that, although he's still in the restaurant in operation. But I think that whether it's, um, we both go into some sort of culinary development job, which I think that we'd be awesome at. And I would. I would love that. I would love to just develop food and innovate and test recipes. Um, I think that my, my goal is to really just do what I love to do, but also have quality of life. So, you know, we've always tossed around this idea of offer, of opening a, a lunchette, like a lunch place or breakfast and lunch called place. meat guy and little um, side salad yeah nope. meat meat guy and side salad maybe we should we should name the place that meat guy and side salad. i would go there tomorrow <laughs> um but you know a lot of people it's funny because i of course i married my simpatico and we both have like no faith in our talent and we never think that anybody would come to our place but I feel like so many people believe in us and so many people have said, you know, you guys should just open your own place. Why are you, why are you not doing this? Um, I feel like that's always been on the horizon um, to open something local and fun, uh, kind of like a hangout, you know, just for people that love food and love company and, you know, not so stressed, not like this high energy, high volume warehouse 
food place, but just like, let's just make food. Let's just love it. Let's just have a good time. Let's love the people that come to our place and almost make it like this family place. I, I would love to do that. Um, we would love for you to do that. I would love that. Yeah. I believe that one day we will do that um, if we get brave enough to do it. We just have to have the courage to kind of jump off the ledge to do it. You know, I'll say one of the chefs that we interviewed recently was talking about, you know, he's starting from scratch and, and doesn't have a restaurant, but is, is working towards that. And he said, you know, I knew that I don't have money. I don't have a restaurant right now. So all I have is advocating for myself and knowing yeah. my worth and knowing that I, I can make really good food. So I would say, I know you can make really good food because I've seen it. I've tasted it. So don't be afraid to advocate for yourself and, and ask for what you want. Cause that's again, like the opportunity to say yes to those things. That's where on the other side of that is, is growth and fun and change and balance. So uh, you have our full support, whatever you want to do, a little side salad. <laughs> Hashtag that. Well, um. Chef Chase Silverman, thank you so much for joining us today. If you're ever in the Charlotte area, which please come to the Charlotte area, we would love to take you out to dinner or cook something in our houses with you. Or watch you oh, cook it. Or watch wait. you do it. Yeah. Definitely. I would love to do that. Definitely. Awesome. Well, for this batch, my name is Jen. I'm Abby. And this has been Amused Boosh. Amused Boosh.